Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Live from the Vegas Strip, welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. What if the only way to live again is to learn how to be dead? How to Be Dead, A Love Story, is our recommended summer book for your Vegas trip. This is a book that's a great page-turner that makes hours by the pool or in the plane coming and going just fly by. Well, Today, you'll meet the author, Laurel Schmidt, who writes with humor, heart, and intelligence. It's the story of Francis Beacon, a longevity guru and best-selling author of Sex, Drugs, and Social Security, and is at the peak of her second career, when a New York City cab takes her life. All she wants to do is go home, but instead she's rolled in the University of the Afterlife. In this tale of self-discovery, Francis learns that the only way to live again is to learn how to be dead. Your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, is here as well, talking about measuring up to the Vegas restaurant standard. Mr. Big is here with the story of Jay Sarno. Finally, Hero School creator Tiger Todd continues to answer some of your questions about his approach to homelessness. What happens when your life is suddenly cut short? Where do you go when you die? All those questions that everybody have is wrapped up in a new book that you got to read for this summer's reading series. It's fantastic. It's called How to Be Dead, a love story and it's got kind of the humor you can tell in that title. It runs throughout the book. It's great. And by we have a great author that put this together, Laurel Schmidt. Laurel, welcome. Uh, this is your first go-round at fiction, correct? You've, I know you've written a number of nonfiction books. That's right. It's my first. It's my debut novel. And what a way to start out. This is a great book. It's one of those you pick it up and you go, eh, this might be interesting. And then you realize you can't put it down, which always makes for great reading. You know, you've, you've had a long career as a principal, teacher. You're interested in a lot of things. You strike me as one of those type. So what made you decide to write a book uh, about longevity? Well, it was a very interesting story because I didn't actually set out to write this novel. I was getting toward retirement age, and I looked at my mom, and she was 91 years old, and there was no sign of her stopping. And I thought, how the hell did she do that? I had no idea how to get old. All I knew was how to work two or three jobs at a time. And so I thought, well... I better do some research here and see if I can figure out how to stay alive. I began, and I was doing some, I did a lot of research, and then I did some blog writing, and I thought, well, you know, I can help some other people my age, maybe help them deal with the issue of longevity. And then suddenly the whole project was hijacked. One day, it was like a meteor hit me in the head. The title, the main character, the whole thing dropped into my head. And I thought, well, I knew it was a gift. And, you know, when you're a writer, yeah. you get an idea like that. So I grabbed a pen and pencil or pen and paper and 
wrote down, you know, the idea before it could escape, like so many fugitive ideas in my head these days. And then I sat at my computer, and the first sentence popped out, and I was on my way. And the main character, Frances Beacon, she's this longevity guru who brags that she's going to live to be 100, and she can teach everybody else how to do it with her book, her best-selling book, which was called Sex, Drugs, and Social Security. <laughs> so I, I was on my way, and then all these other characters started showing up, and eventually the whole project turned into a thinking person's comedy about the afterlife. Boy, that's exactly right, because it's one of those things people of faith have certain beliefs. as other people, you know, like an atheist doesn't know exactly what they believe. Some people believe you just put in the ground and that's the end of everything. And it, But I think deep down everybody thinks about it because it's not something we can actually see. You know, somebody can't come back and tell us what it was like. So this whole character, Francis Beacon... It really is sort of you. Fortunately, you didn't have to die <laughs> to, to experience it. But it's sort of you with all your uh, with all your studying on this. Absolutely, yes. Actually, it was so interesting because it was sort of like art imitating life. Exactly what I thought I was going to do. The main character Francis did. Except the difference is that Francis, she's like my doppelganger, except with the safety off the trigger. She's very, she's very uninhibited. She, uh, she's got a mouth on her. She likes to drink. She acts up. And so it was a lot of fun to write her um, because I got to act up. But it was also very interesting because she, she let me look at my flaws from a safe distance. Because that's what Francis has to do when she goes to the afterlife. It's not about heaven or hell or purgatory. It's the university of the afterlife. And when she gets there, what she learns is she has to learn the lessons that she failed to learn when she was alive. Otherwise, she'll never get out. So um, it, it really, I was able to dig down into myself and bring up a lot of my own experiences over my life and look at them again at a safe distance that's what's lovely about writing a novel is you're there the introspection is is just it's fascinating and you know this all hits up with people i know my wife is getting close to retirement age and just the thought process it's not as easy as you think because a lot of people think oh wow great i won't have to go to work anymore you know but it's not quite like that right and it's one of those things where retirement could be a couple years or it could be a couple of decades or even more and i don't think any of us really know what we're we're getting into it's that uh, kind of fear of the unknown absolutely and that's what I think that fear, there are so many fears, and it comes in lots of flavors. You know, am I, you know, am I going to live a long time? Will I be disabled? You know, what will happen? Will I be alone? Will I be with others? There are so many questions. And it was interesting because what I, originally I was focusing on how can I live a long time? And then I realized, you know what? I don't think that's the right question. I think the right question is to ask, what do I want to make of the time I have? And then you realize the only time you have is today. And so my focus then became, what kind of questions do I need to ask myself so that I make the most of the time I have, rather than trying to 
prospect with the idea of maybe I'll live to 100. Back with more in just a moment from Laurel Schmidt, a lifelong educator, art lover, and writer, and the author of How to Be Dead, A Love Story. For classic sports, it's Sports R-A-C-X, which is available on radio stations nationwide and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports R-A-C-X, short for Sports Rock and Tours. When you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do, and I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas, but by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. The lobby, in fact, is a restored shell from the old La Concha Motel. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience, so you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. And don't forget, you can hear Vegas Never Sleeps anytime you want. Just visit us at VegasNeverSleeps.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. Man, I had a rough night's sleep. Boy, I got a letter from the IRS yesterday, and I I just couldn't sleep. Man, I'm dying here. Somebody help me. IRS problems affect more than just your finances. If you're ready to take back control of your life and you owe more than $10,000, you need to call the tax doctor. Their expert staff can immediately protect you from the IRS and state collectors and get you the best possible tax settlement guaranteed. The IRS has recently released new programs geared in helping struggling taxpayers where you may qualify to settle your tax debt and wipe out up to 85% or more of what you currently owe. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call the tax doctor right now. See if you qualify to pay less. Call 800-511-6983. That's 800-511-6983. Again, 800-511-6983. That's 800-511-6983. You hear Mr. Big every week on this show. Now Mr. Big invites you to visit him online and save some money. All his books are now on Kindle, and he's got a variety of books, fiction and nonfiction, including The Life and Times of Frank Balisteri, books on casino games, and much more. You can buy the Kindle and save even more money. Go to MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today and learn about the latest CGM technology. A CGM can immediately reduce pain. It's accurate, easy to use, and help you make better diabetes treatment decisions. And if you have Medicare, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Plus, get free shipping and we'll bill your insurance company for you. Call now to receive your new continuous glucose monitor at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Paid for by U.S. Medical Supply. Call 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295. Again, 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295.
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Laurel Schmidt, author of four nonfiction books on art, learning, and brain development, and author of today's featured novel, How to Be Dead, A Love Story. And one of the things they get from reading your book is... It's never too late. You can make changes. If you're reading this and you're past retirement age, you don't know what you do, you're not stuck with it, right? I mean, you actually can make those changes. Absolutely. That is the wonder of the human brain and the human heart. We know that we're capable of growing new brain cells, neurogenesis. And we can also grow a new, bigger heart and make room for love. We can give up old baggage. We can see the beauty of the world around us, each of us is born with so many talents and such curiosity. But you know what? We have to reconnect with that youthful person who's inside us and just needs a little encouragement. And you have to liberate yourself. I think that's one of the things when you're facing aging and the fears that come with it. The answer is to liberate yourself from whatever it is that's holding you back because what might be inside of you is the best to come. And I truly believe that with a bit of courage, you can tell yourself a new story about who you are and what you want your life to mean. Boy, I love that. And as we look at your career, I mean, we can see that that's kind of what you've done. The fact you've written a novel, this was in you and now it's coming out. And and I know myself, even in terms of what I do for a living, like talking to people like yourself, it is liberating because that curiosity keeps life interesting. So it, it, you don't have to just go and be miserable and uh, wait for death. <laughs> you, you know, we, we don't have any control over some of that, right? But you do have some control over how you do it. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. What you have control over is your is the moment, in the moment. And I think one of the things is, again, this whole idea of forget about other people's expectations, other people's judgment, other people, what other people might think an old person should be, what you should be, and to just look inside and find, like, what, what are the passions that you never pursued? What's still inside there that's begging to come out? What do you long for? And then say, listen, if not now, when? Yeah. Well, and, and I look at your background, which is kind of varied. I mean, you're a school principal, art museum board member, brain development expert. There's a lot going on there. And you managed to kind of take all those different uh, skill sets and put them in and, and help examine this. I mean, that's what kind of, we have to kind of look at that. I think we, we all kind of have more skills than we give ourselves credit for, don't you? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that happens over our lifetime is we narrow down. When we're young, we're full of possibilities, and then we narrow it down as we find a career and other responsibilities and all. But the miracle of being liberated from all that and being older is to say, no, I, now I have time. And so many of us, you hit retirement age, you're still healthy, you're still active, and, but you've got 40 hours a week that you don't have to go anyplace and do something, so what do you want to do with it? And it's just tapping back into that stuff that you know or that you glanced at earlier in life and then said, oh, I can't do that now, and re, revitalizing a lot of old interests and passions and then bringing them to the fore while you still have the energy and the ideas 
and the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to do this in the pandemic. And when I thought about it, I thought that probably was actually a plus in in the sense that, you know, you got a lot of time to think about this stuff. Did, did that uh, work that way, you know, writing this novel where, you know, kind of nothing got in your way? It was amazing. You know, it was just such a gift to be writing this and finishing this novel during the pandemic and during the lockdown because for five or six hours a day I could escape the real world and go into the afterlife and as funny as odd as that sounds it was so wonderful because I would just go sit down at my computer I would start writing I'd be in the afterlife with Francis and then all these other characters would show up some days I had no idea who was going to show up and there they were and so then I spent my day in this kind of very creative, um, exciting world. And then at the end of the day, when I was tired writing, I would look up and then I'd be looking out at our sad situation. So it was a great, great blessing. And I think that's one of the reasons that this book has resonated with people is they've been through the pandemic and there was so much of mortality. You could not escape mortality those years loved ones were being snatched from the face of the earth. And so people really began to think about life and afterlife. And then this book came along, and one of the reviewers said that this is a laugh-out-loud tour of the afterlife. More with Laurel Schmidt, author of How to Be Dead, A Love Story, as well as a nationally recognized expert who has worked with the major museums in Los Angeles and New York, including the Met, MoMA, and the Guggenheim. Mr. Big is here talking about one of the great characters and developers of Vegas, Jay Sarno, the man responsible for Caesars and Circus Circus. This week, a guy who you know from Caesars Palace and other facilities around town, Jay Sarno. Tell us about Jay. Jay is my hero. If anybody's my hero in Vegas, Jay would be at the top of the list because he's the man who knew what gamblers wanted. He knew how to get that money that he needed to build the great hotels he's in casinos he's associated with. He knew the person to call was, of course, the mafia. And then we could call into the Midwestern Teepsters Pension Fund, and money was no limit to build the best hotels money could buy. And something many people don't know is that these hotels investments that the Teepsters made did not walk out the door and never get returned. Those investments were repaid back with interest. So the next time someone tells you that the Teamsters loans were nothing more than a way to launder money, that is very much untrue. It did help the, the mafia gain money via the skim, but those are wise investments. When you look at the return on investment that went to the retired members of the Teamsters union. But Jay knew what men wanted. Because men were the big gamblers then, right? They wanted to be treated well. When you get got scissors, you got those personal massages. They were, say, liberal with a kind of working woman they might let in because they knew, again, what men wanted to spend their money and what would make them happy. And Jay understood that the more you did to make the gamblers happy, the more they'd spend that night and the more often they would come back and bring their friends. Hats off to Jay. A man of legend. Definitely a legend around town. Uh, you can hear Mr. Big every week on Vegas Crime Blotter. Also, pick up his book. It's The Life and Times of Frank Ballesteri. And believe me, you will love this book because it's an interesting story. He's out of Milwaukee, but there's plenty of Vegas stuff in there. And you can get it at Amazon. Thank you, Mr. Big. 
Thank you, Mr. Big. Remember to check out everything about Mr. Big at MilwaukeeMob.com. He's got books on crime and gambling, as well as some really cool merchandise. You just go to MilwaukeeMob.com. You can listen to Vegas Never Sleeps anytime you want. Just visit us at VegasNeverSleeps.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the Talk Media Network. Ciao, I am Giada Valenti. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with Laurel Schmidt, fine author who believes that the secret to longevity is continual growth, so she decided to try her hand at fiction. How to Be Dead, a Love Story, is her first novel. And the other part is that even when I wasn't sitting at my computer, when I was just walking around in the world or doing grocery shopping or listening to the radio, I, m- my mind was constantly sifting for ideas. And so it was like I was engaged in the process even when I wasn't sitting down writing. Um, so it, um, it was a, a great, a, a, not an obsession, but a great recreation. And, um, and I, loved, I loved the process, so I didn't ever have to say, get in there and write, Laurel. <laughs> well, you know, and, and for a reader, I can tell you, it's great because you don't want to put it down. And that's just the, kind of the excitement. You know, like you're talking about these people popping up in your head. Well, as they pop up on the pages, it's really exciting. What's going to happen next, you know? And y- you go into this thing with just a very... Uh, uh, just very, very broad concept. And by the time you get done, you've really thought, and you, we've kind of taken the journey with you. We love it. So with all that in mind, that's a long way of asking you, it strikes me as a great thing for a screen. Have you had somebody approach you yet? Uh, and if not, they should, uh, of putting this either on television or in the theaters or what have you. It just seems like one of those stories that would translate well. I think it will, and I haven't been approached yet, but I absolutely have thought about this as an intellectual property that would translate well to the screen or to a, a TV series uh, or, or however they would format that. And, um, and it's my great hope that that will happen because I think that it's very accessible material and it would, that it would lift people up, that it would be interesting and stimulating, intellectually stimulating, but also emotionally nourishing. And so, um, uh, from your lips to God's ear. <laughs> well, I, folks, you should grab this because uh, you want to read it first because you're going to see it eventually on some screen and it's going to come across perfectly. And I think actors should get a hold of it and read it because I think they're going to want to play it. So uh, as you look to the future, this is out. Of course, we want people to go out and buy it and read it and enjoy it. Are you thinking about either a follow-up to this or maybe a, a new book entirely with a different topic? What do you think? Is it, you're not going to stop at this. I can't imagine. It just it just seems like such a natural. I love the writing process, and I love doing novels now. So I have two two other novels that I'm working on right now. Um, both of them have 
issues of afterlife and people appearing from different eras and and um, and I'm trying to decide which one I want to go with right now. One of them has uh, the original Queen Elizabeth in it, and another one is a whole group of people sitting around trying to figure out. Uh, they've they're old older people and. They're talking about one has a knee replacement and one's got something else and something else and all the parts of their body that have been fixed by the doctors. But the question is, can you do that for my heart? They're all seeking love and they wonder, can their heart be fixed in the way the rest of their body has been? And so, yes, I am working on two other novels and um, and I'm just intrigued, absolutely intrigued by the process. And so I'm looking forward to finding out how they're going to come out. We are, too. And in the meantime, you can get this fantastic book. It is a must a must read, the story of Francis Beacon. By the way, the name of the book is How to Be Dead, A Love Story. It's a great title. And Laurel Schmidt is a great author. But also, you can read her. You have a blog, which is interesting, the Sex, Drugs, and Social Security.com. What can we find there? That is actually my old research that I was writing about how to get old and how to stay alive. And so I have all these essays, funny, snarky, and and also helpful about different aspects of what I learned about longevity. So my old research material is, is coming around and having another life now in a blog that I'm putting together. Well, that's fantastic. We'll check that out. Also, you should check out her website. It's laurelschmidt.com. The book, one more time, How to Be Dead, A Love Story. Laurel, great book. We can't wait to have you on again when the next book comes out or the movie comes out or whatever. I think you've got a long uh, history ahead of you <laughs> as, as a great fiction author and writer. Oh, thank you so much. What a delight to talk to you. You are a fantastic interviewer, and this has just been a wonderful conversation. So it's so gratifying to an author to have a conversation at this level. Thank you so much. Time now to check in with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. When it comes to setting a standard for excellence, there's nothing like dining in Vegas. I was reading one of your reviews about an Italian restaurant. I don't remember what it was. And you said, Mamma Mia, that's mediocre. Or Mamma Mia, that's average. It's like, it's food. So when you go there, you, do you find that you have to hold Vegas restaurants up to maybe a, a higher standard simply because the competition in this town is so great? Absolutely. So uh, we are spoiled um, in Vegas because there are so many great restaurants, it's hard to go to a good restaurant. And I, I say this all the time. There are a lot of restaurants that are average in Las Vegas that would be the best restaurant in almost any other city. You obviously have the big cities, LA and Chicago and New York that have amazing restaurants that are comparable. But for the most part, our Middle of the road restaurants are better. They're better in service. They're better in quality. They're better in uh, almost by any measure. So uh, I I am the first to admit I'm a little bit jaded. So Hell's Kitchen was a perfect example. Uh, Hell's Kitchen was a forgettable meal that I think in any other city would be holy cow, delicious, fantastic. It's better than our best steakhouse, but. You can't in Vegas. You have to measure against Vegas, and when you sit and have a forgettable meal, when you realize there's ten more that are unforgettable, 
I, it's a little tough to rave about an okay restaurant that's a six or a seven on the scale when we have so many that are 11 or 12 on a scale of one to 10. So, um, it, it's a little bit tough in general because, and especially when you've been doing it for a while. I mean, you've been talking about Vegas for quite a while now, and I've been blogging about Vegas and doing my podcast as well. And I think just over time, uh, you become uh, jaded and you become a little more cynical. So a show that might have been great 10 years ago now is just like, well, that's like a lot of other shows. So I try to walk in. Uh, my goal is for a typical visitor. What, what would a typical visitor think of this? Um, and I do try to get in the mindset of, yeah, you know what? That wasn't as good as an SDK or wasn't as good as an old uh, homestead. But, you know, it was pretty good. And uh, would, would you be wasting your time or money going there? Uh, generally, and I've been building a list for some time now of disappointing experiences and where to go instead. But ultimately, a seven on a scale of one to ten is a really good restaurant. <laughs> and Vegas is full of those. I just think if you have three days in Vegas, you better do three ten. Well, thanks, Scott. Check out Scott every day at VitalVegas.com. Remember, you can hear Vegas Never Sleeps anytime you want. Just visit us at VegasNeverSleeps.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Steve and Maggie, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a hundred years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorn's Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. Call 800-923-8625. That's 800-923-8625. 800-923-8625. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel it's that easy so call now and start packing call right now 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 that's 800-267-1806 
Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. We continue to hear from a lot of you about Tiger Todd's unique approach to homelessness. Today, we continue the conversation with Tiger. And I thought to myself, as you're, as you're doing all this and you're kind of finding out who the person is, do you also want to look and see what choices they made? Well, does that help you? Like, okay, if they're making this particular kind of choice, that's part of that change. We have to figure the way they make those choices because ultimately this is all about choices. Well, well, certainly, and I and it's it's based on. I'll, I'll just add to it. It's certainly based on choices, but as you know, it's based on choices and who gave us the information we have, and whether or not we have enough information. Mm-hmm. Right? When people say, "Well, I didn't have a choice," and of course we hear that in the movies all the time. The character didn't have a choice. Well, that's because this was all they knew, <laughs> right? And so, if you know more, you have more choices. So, if you become, if a human becomes what they what they learn, right, this at least establishes that we can be in charge of who we become. And there's very much in this definition of homelessness to where it's all something else defining me. You know, and, 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 you know, yeah, the first choice I had to make was the difference between, you know, freedom and, and, and control, right? And so, you know, it was, a, I don't know, probably the year before I you know, started putting together Hero School, I, you know, I started to think, and maybe, I don't know, if it was a tone, a tone no, it wasn't Tony Robbins, I hadn't heard of him by then, but it was like probably Stephen Covey or, you know, somebody that had written a book on something. And I, and it said, um, you know, the, you have to have this, this kind of defining empowerment of choice, but you also have to have a personal mission statement to live by, right? You probably have one. And anyway, at that time, I started to write one. And I, I went and looked back at, you know, my business career, you know, who, you know, my stupidity, you know, my, my uh, uh, chronic relationship rotation <laughs> with people. And, uh, and I started to look back, though, at what, what really defined my mission at its core. And I said this, I, you know, I said, you know, I, I kind of, my purpose, my mission is to help people be free to live the lives they were meant for. I actually realized that every interaction I have with people is to free them to live their best selves. So by contrast, somebody else might have a mission that wants to fit you into their mold, right? Uh, Obviously, villains in the movies, right? There's somebody who wants to use you to help themselves, right? So, So you start with the choice between do you want freedom or do you want control, right? And so that influences, obviously, uh, my definition of homeless. I uh, just again back to your question on uh, on everything being a choice. These people, the people that become homeless, probably had a choice they knew better than and and knew on. But in my experience, we don't need to pick apart the bad choices when we deliver a, a hero school for the homeless. Right, we're talking about a large group. We can lay things out in a way that they don't have to go back through the minutia of regret. You know, regret is an incredible motivator. And, and, uh, and I would just as soon lay out the path of freedom, let other people judge themselves, particularly the homeless in that, in that class. I'd rather them judge themselves and decide, you know what, I made this mistake. I don't think they need to tell anybody. I think they need to make a decision after they look at their own regret, after they have a new path to make a better choice, and just say, you know, I'm never going to do this again. That, that's the day they begin their next hero's journey. You know, just one follow-up on that. As I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, 
if anybody is of faith, and it doesn't matter which, what the faith is, I think you can take exactly what you're saying, and it fits right into that, where this is not a conflict at all to that. Rather, it, it's something where it, it helps you get the tools to deliver on what you, hopefully, if that's what your belief is, that you can see, well, this is how I get there. Well, sure, and and, and we we know throughout history, uh, you know, I always add mythology, religion, the movies, but, uh, you know, throughout history, there have been great ideas and great philosophies, and then there have been those followers who might use it to judge people with. I think that the, what is it, the New Testament verse to, you know, to correct that, I think it, it, it said uh, Paul was writing to a letter to uh, to Timothy. And he said, he said, look, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And then he lists what Scripture's for. He said, for reproof, for correction, and then finally, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we have these philosophies from our history, mythology, religion, the movies, uh, for reproof, <laughs> for correction, and then instruction in righteousness, right? So that we we don't ever have to go through this again. We don't have to repeat history, which, of course, is the calling card of the homeless. How do you know someone's homeless versus just houseless? Repeated history, right? Same stuff, different day, right? And so... Uh, obviously, when you get to that, that ethic and to your point on, you know, it doesn't matter the religion or the faith. Yeah, to your point, if we judge ourselves, we not be judged. So let's move on to the, to the second question, which is kind of like you're trying to stop this beforehand. And actually, I got two questions on it, and it really uh, fascinated me about couch surfing. Is that homeless or is that not? Or is it like a uh, – somebody uh, explained it in one of these letters to – is that like an entry drug? You know, now, I mean, couch surfing, I guess, is how you define it. But to me, it's going to your friends. But is that a thing? of If, if you're not really taking care of yourself, you're eventually going to run out of that or what have you. What would your take on couch surfing? Well, I think this is, this is a very great and thoughtful question for whoever sent this one in. Uh, so uh, you can't, I don't think we can take actions to qualify them as homeless. I think what we do is we look at the action and then we kind of plug it into the formula, right? The four habits are what qualifies someone as homeless. These four habits that are not the same habits of an entrepreneur or um, a teacher or, you know, a marine biologist, right? These are four habits that, you know, I've, in, in the 50 plus thousand homeless people that I've been successful with, same four habits we had to neutralize. So I think that couch surfing, there can be a lot of reasons to leave house, home, right? There are a million reasons to be houseless, but four habits create homelessness. So I think when people start out with couch surfing, I think we would just say, here are the warnings, right? Number one, I hope when you couch surf, you're, you're staying on the couch at someone else's house, and those people are adults. Why is that important? Because habit three of homelessness is horizontal learning, right? And so if it's just a teenager trying to escape adult guidance and then learns horizontally only from their friends, uh, then there's no chance of them um, becoming more than they are, right? All they are, they're, they're, it's a like button on Facebook. They're just there to get agreement, right? Yeah. The second part to that is the reinforcement. And so many uh, homeless youth charities have, you know, grown, and it's tragic, right, because this is a problem we should have solved, not, not grown. But they grow by reinforcing the 
horrible state of the teenager that ended up, you know, couch surfing. And, and, and frankly, none of us are smart enough to go back into the household that they left to decide, was it really that bad? That person makes a decision, and here's what I would do. I just would love to protect those people who are couch surfing from becoming homeless. Don't, don't listen to and learn from people who are your same age in your same stuff. You still have to learn vertically. You still need to find a coach, a teacher, a boss, or somebody else to shepherd you out of this. And then the second one is as much as it might feel good to find a peer group to comfort you for what, you're, what you've been through. Remember, if you get comfort while you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you'll feel really good about camping out there. You really need to learn all you can about Hero School, igniting rapid and lasting change with the homeless, houseless, and hopeless at the speed of movies. So simply visit heroschool.us. That's heroschool.us. Coming up next to Sports Rock and Tours. And don't forget, you can hear Vegas Never Sleeps anytime you want. Just visit us at vegasneversleeps.com. And please follow both Vegas Never Sleeps and Sports Rock and Tours on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Vegas, here we go! Are you being audited and do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The tax doctor is here to help you negotiate a lower tax bill. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will fight for you using industry secrets that can stop any IRS actions, eliminate penalties and interest, and reduce your past tax bill so you pay the IRS less. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call the tax doctor now for a free IRS audit emergency review. Call 800-515-4956. That's 800-515-4956. Again, 800-515-4956. That's 800-515-4956.